Well, hey there, sweet peas. Welcome back to Friendless, the only podcast that tries to teach you how to be a better friend while I lose every friend I have. I'm your pal, James Avramenko, back once again with an incredible interview with the one, the only, Corey Hardiman. Corey is an incredible painter who I met back in my Barkerville days and I've been wanting to get her on the show forever, so I'm super excited to share this one. We talk all about the cost of art, capitalism murdering creativity, and the unknowable blood god that rules us all. So lean back, get comfy, set your volume at a reasonable level, and enjoy my interview with Corey Hardiman here on Friendless. So welcome to the show, a dear friend from back in my Barkerville days. She's a painter. She is the owner of one of my favorite Instagram accounts on the internet. The oh. one, the, the only, Corey Hardiman. How are you today? Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's such an honor. Thank it you. It really is. Yeah? Yeah. That's what I see. You know, there's been, um, there's been some Barkerville alumni, you know, and... Um, it's always really like it's always such a joy to reconnect with that part of my life, you know. And and it was it was you know it was such an important couple summers, and mm-hmm. then I just lost, lost touch with everyone. But I felt like the connections that were built there, kind of like stood up against distance anyway, you know. Yeah, but, for sure. And uh, and and you're someone who like I've always really cherished, like you know, the memory of you know, not to pretend like either of us are you know gone or anything, but it's like. <laughs> But you it's know. different now. We mostly see each other on the internet and not in real life. So it is a different exactly. kind of relationship, right? Yeah. So I think where I want to start, just for, for, for listeners who may not be familiar with your work, I will put the question very bluntly. Um, who the hell are you? Well, I'm a painter. Uh, I'm a sometimes death doula, but mainly a painter. Uh, I, I make uh, oil paintings that I... I'm fortunate to be able to live from the proceeds of I've managed for the last decade or so to support myself and my family just making artwork, which is uh, amazing. And I feel well, I don't really feel anymore, but I used to feel for a long time. I felt like I was getting away with something. <laughs> and it was all going to collapse at any moment. But it's been long enough now and I've had enough shows and my work is in enough places that it's it's like a job. So I get up yeah. in the morning and I go to my studio and I paint. Yeah. You know, you you are someone I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but I remember there was there was one time in that second summer when I was up in Barkerville working in the blacksmith shop and, and um we were driving back in the back back of your truck in the in the like hay bales. That and- was exactly the memory that I thought of when I was reading the questions. <laughs> yep. And um and we were talking about like art and and being creative and you know i was still so young and i was still coming just out of school and um i was like so frustrated with myself because i like wasn't writing the way i wanted to be writing and you said um you have to suck at art for at least a decade before you can sort of make your your first big breakthrough you know and so you were like just keep doing it and don't yeah. worry about the output don't worry you know and that like that changed my life quite honestly oh my gosh i'm so happy to hear that yeah like not to be too hyperbolic like that like i i have held on to that my whole life you know oh i'm so glad i that really matters to me actually because i i really believe that and i'm glad yeah. to hear that i like that that hasn't changed for me over the last decade right like i really think that good work has to float on an ocean of shit you have to just make the work and it it doesn't like the work the work is what matters like working at your your art is what matters not the not the product it's the work yeah so that's uh, i think you know so i bring that up as because i want to dive into that sort of philosophy a little bit more with you because um you know like you say you've managed to create like a genuine career out of this which um in most arts in canada is next to impossible and um and I'm really curious to sort of trace your your sort of you know your your path through that. And I think where I'd, I'd like to start by asking is is a kind of rudimentary question: is is um, what sort of initiated this interest for you in in painting and in especially in oil painting? Like, where did that first impulse come from? I think, like, I mean, quite simply, I was born with it. It's it's a really mm-hmm. weird thing to say, but. I don't remember a time when I didn't want to draw or paint or or make work. Like I think of it as, it's like my most basic impulse. 
And in the times in my life when I didn't like myself, it was a thing that I did that I liked and that I was good at and that kind of kept me kept me going, you know, when I was a crappy teenager and at other times. And I was actually quite resistant for a long time to doing it as a career um, because I loved it so much. And I was worried that if I started to sell work, that it would become a, a regular job, which of course it has to an extent, but that I would like, I would lose that, that kind of private joy that I took in, in making work. Um, and with oil painting, oil paint is a really intimidating medium. And when I, when I married my, my now ex-husband, I was, I was actually very fortunate in that he had spent quite a lot of time oil painting. He's a really good painter. He doesn't paint anymore, which is kind of too bad, but he grew up in Holland and he, he spent a lot of time oil painting and he knew a lot about oil paint and he really pushed me to take that medium up. And as soon as I kind of gave myself over to it, it just captivated me. Like I, I was just enchanted by it. I can't, I've never strayed from that medium since I started and I, I still find it so exciting. And so like, I learn so much from it all the time. It, it's like learning a language, you know, it's so nuanced and it does weird things because it's all natural pigments. They react to each other differently. And so you're always kind of, you're always kind of guessing at what's going to work. And then it does mm. surprising things, which is exciting. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I have no, no formal training in it whatsoever, but I have recently in the last like year or two started using oil painting as just like a sort of a therapeutic side thing. And I, with no intention of form, with no intention of like, you know, it's literally just like splotches, but mm -hmm. um, there's, I'm, I'm fully with you. There's something so magic about picking a color you like, putting it on the canvas, picking another color you like, and like seeing what happens. You yeah. Know? And and sometimes you fuck up. Sometimes no, you're like all oh, the time. Oh, you know, right? like yeah. all the time. Like I sand <laughs> down so many paintings. Like people are always like, oh you knock it out of the park with every painting. And first of all, no. And secondly, <laughs> like I only post the ones I feel like I can live with. There's a yeah. million paintings in my studio that are, you know, faces to the wall to think about what they've done, right? Like <laughs> they're a mess yep yeah and i will like i'll sand them down or i'll paint over them or i'll like wait until i have a dream about them and then i'll go back and mm. and change them but yeah there's there's always there's like a mountain of garbage that you have to make all the time and yeah. and you learn stuff from it right yeah did you take any formal training or is this purely like a self-taught you just like grew through the years I, I mean, I grew through the years. I've been fortunate in that I've been mentored by some really great painters. Most recently, yeah. like at the beginning of COVID, a lot of painters that I've admired for like decades started putting on little online courses. And so at the beginning of COVID, I took a little, I think like a 10 day premier coup, which is like a, you know, making paintings, making the whole painting in a day, usually in a couple of hours, uh, class with Wayne Kaiser, who's been my favorite painter since I was like 20. He's just, mm -hmm. a fan. he's the, he's the originator of the, the daily painting movement in the States. And he's gotcha. like, he was written up in the New York times and he's, he's like, he's a big deal. And so I took this little course with him and then he contacted me at the end and said, so would you be interested in a mentorship? Because you, he, what he said to me that was so flattering was you remind me of me and I'd like to see what I might do under different oh. circumstances. Beautiful. So I spent a year uh, talking to Dwayne Kaiser every week about painting and we still talk all the time. Like I was just talking to him earlier today. Uh, he's, he's a delightful human being and a wonderful painter. And he really, he really pushed me in some directions that I don't know if I would have gone otherwise. Like he kind of demanded some things of me, like big paintings and abstract paintings and things yeah. like that, that I, I, I don't want to say I don't have the courage to do, but I, th it's really easy to talk myself out of doing those big projects and to have, uh, I, I didn't want to let him down. Right. Which is really helpful. You need those people in your life. You don't want to let them down. And I have some, I mean, the internet is wonderful for, for sort of peer mentorship for painters as well, because I have access to a lot of people that I, I just wouldn't in my regular life. I am, when I was living in Vancouver in my studio space, you know, I was surrounded by other other artists who are serious artists and who who work for a living like in the arts and and that's a, just good energy to be around mm -hmm. but also i have like i have a lot of people that follow my work and whose work i follow like a lot of mutual admiration from other painters that i that i really respect and when i run up 
you know, up against my limitations or problems in a painting, I can ask them, I can say like, what would you do in this situation? Or what do you think? Like, what do you think about this piece? And they'll, they'll give me an honest crit and that is invaluable in, in visual art. Like to have that is such a, a gift. So I have that from them and, and they have it from me. And I, I take, you know, I think there's a certain tax you have to pay for the privilege of doing this kind of work because it is purely a privilege. And so, um, you know, when, when there are young painters that feel stuck or whatever, I, I try to spend time with them and look at their work critically and, and kindly as well, right? Like you run up against criticism all the time and it's, a, it's, a, it's something you have to be very careful with because you can very easily crush, crush somebody, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty great. Like at this point, I, you know, there's, there's painters that I talk to regularly that I, I just wouldn't be able to have access to in any other way. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. It's funny. You, you, I feel like you kind of read my mind because I have a few questions down the line about, about like communities and in, especially in painting and, and, and things like that. I, I want to, I want to put a little pin in those for now though. I want to come back to them because I, I had one more sort of building on question about, about your own sort of developed style that I'm really fascinated by um, because, you know, your sort of the, the, I don't know the proper lingo or language, but you know, the, the, the vast majority of your sort of art um, body is sort of, you know, nature scenes or, mm -hmm. you know, portraits of, of, of things in nature. And, and what's so fascinating about them is that they will, on sort of first blush, they'll look very naturalistic and very real. And then as you look at them, you realize that they're, they're very often in very unnatural positions or mm -hmm. they're framed very unnaturally. And I wonder if you could kind of expand a little bit more on that philosophy of those two like very oppositional images that come together. Yeah, I mean, I think because my formal training is in, well, not because my formal training is in biology, but be, you know, my formal training is in biology. And I think a lot about this, moment in human history like we're living in an extinction event we're living in climate chaos um we're living in a time when we're seeing like rapid and pretty horrifying pretty stark changes in our immediate environment and i think it's the duty of artists to respond to that to the time that we're living in and so um when i'm painting you know a landscape for example i'm there is certainly an element of painting the landscape itself of painting what i see but there's also, I never paint directly from photographs or I never, I, I take, um, I'll take a lot of photographs and I'll look at them. But when I go into the studio, what I'm really after is the feeling of the thing. It's not the mm. thing itself. And so I do have, you know, I have a million nests in my studio that people have given me and I paint a lot of nests because I love them. They're so beautiful and they're so intricate. And, uh, but I also think when I'm painting the nests, I think about the personality of the bird that built the nest. And I'm also thinking of the nest as an artifact. I'm thinking about things like, um, you know, the massive die off of insects and its impact on bird populations. I'm thinking about like the loneliness of, of a disused nest and unused nest mm. is not a natural thing. You know, nests get recycled and reused. Um, if not by the, the sort of builder that the bird of origin by other animals. And yeah. so to have this sort of profusion of empty nests in my studio, because I won't accept nests. Like I won't let people take a nest out of a tree. I won't like, I strongly discourage that, but people take trees down in their yards or they, you know, find a nest that's windblown or whatever. And they'll, they'll send it to me, which is beautiful and lovely. I have nests from all over. Um, mm. But I look at them and I think like, is anything going to fill that space? You know? And that's, that's a that's a hard question because I notice it. I just, you know, we just drove to Haida Gwaii and back and where there should be flocks of birds, there's one or two. And where there should be, you know, just like a, a profusion of life. And there is in Haida Gwaii. And in a way it's, it's it, I think it's a, almost like a false um, hope, not a false hope. Hope isn't false, but like a, there's something that's so, so exciting and so hopeful about going down to a beach and seeing birds you wouldn't normally see and seeing sea cucumbers and anemones just everywhere. And you think life is so resilient. Life is so profuse. And then you come back into the wildfire smoke and you realize like it is, it is those things. It's profuse it's and resilient, but 
but resiliency gets taken, it gets worn away. And it, yep. it that's what we're doing, right? We're yeah. doing that with everything. We're reducing yeah. everything around us and we're robbing the world of its resiliency. And that's that can't not make its way into my paintings. It just can't yeah. not. It can't yeah. just be beautiful. It has to be difficult as well because we live in a difficult time. Yeah. Oh God. You're just like, you're making my heart just like swell. Like I'm really like, it's just, you're, you're like, everything you're saying is just making my brain, like brain just go into these million of directions. You know, when you talked about the false hope, but I loved how you caveated it, that there's no, no hope is false. I love that. But I, I almost thought of something more akin to like, it's like a mirage or something like that. It's like, mm. I, I often think about how, when you're driving on those highways, you know, I think about being up in, in around Quinell and those kinds of areas, they've, um, you know they've manicured the highways to only yeah. be able to see the forest but if you go right over that hill it's just clean cut there's you a know? clear cut right behind it yeah. right and so it's just little things like that it's like a it's like a mirage it's a little fantasy that we all play together you yeah. know and yeah and and we tell yourselves no it's okay because if you go to the beach you'll see a seagull so that means there's life and it's like exactly yeah, go, go just a little ways out of the harbor and right yeah. and and um yeah and and i often get very paralyzed by that despair you know i often get really overwhelmed by it and that's and, a very common reaction i teach right? um some workshops to about uh climate grief and mm -hmm. to artists and uh and that is the common response people get paralyzed mm -hmm. and overwhelmed and and i do too we do we that's it's natural too and i think like for a lot of painters especially in the sort of eurocentric male white tradition mm -hmm. um painting has been about monument making and it doesn't yeah. seem very sensible to make monuments at a time when the world is for all intents and purposes ending in some yeah. important ways and I, I i sometimes say that to people when they ask oh is this archival which of course it is i'll say you know this oil paint is going to last for 500 years it will outlast our species at the rate we're going yeah, <laughs> like, right, exactly. you don't have to worry too much yeah. right? it's going to be okay God. um but you know and i don't like to be that dark all the time you can't be you have to be hopeful you know i have kids i can't i can't just be like bleak all the time totally. but boy you gotta you gotta know that shifting baseline is a thing and even when we see the the vast profusion of life in somewhere like Haida Gwaii or on vancouver island it isn't what it used to be no it isn't what it used to be even even standing in the coffee shop on Haida Gwaii, uh an indigenous elder was talking to us and he was saying you know we were talking about how many gooey ducks and how many birds and how many anemones there were on the shore and he said it's not like it was it's not like it was at all yeah and that's true everywhere yeah yeah i um i'm i often i i think one of the things i find so inspiring by you and your family is that you're so um cognizant of of natural order and you're so cognizant of how you know animals work and you know i still remember i still remember I think it was Elliot, I think, who who once Googled uh, giant beaver. Giant beavers. <laughs> <laughs> and it comes up in my Facebook memories sometimes. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Just, like, right? <laughs> search, you know? But like just like your whole family has been so in touch and, and I always find that so inspiring and, and I always every time we talk I learn these new things and the 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 sort of where where my perspective often comes in where i sort of derive some hope from is that i'm i'm very much a student of history and and especially like of ancient history and i find that really inspiring for two very different reasons one being you can look at what's happened and you can see climate changing and you can see you know natural events and unnatural you know man-made events mm -hmm. and how people shift and adapt and and yep. they do go through dark periods but you know humanity as a as a collective pulls through the other side is like it's only like two thousand years and we barely know anything so it's yep. like like legacy and monument and and these thoughts of eternity are are impossible for the human brain to comprehend so yep. it's sort of not worth worrying about because yep. like you'll you'll everyone will be forgotten so you might as well just enjoy yourself and yep. and let 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 what is be you know it's really important i think to like to be hum humble in that way like sometimes mm. i think you know when things seem overwhelming i think in a hundred years everyone like not only i but everyone i have ever known my own children everyone will be dead yeah yeah <laughs> no one no will remember what. no matter what this thing i'm screwing up right now exactly yeah. right yeah no matter what no matter what happens we're all gonna die and that's as it should be that's part that's of right. 
that's part of living and if without that there's no there's just there's no meaning to any of it right like you, mm-hmm. you you have to live your life like it's the only one you get and you have to take the chances that you need to take take and you have to fuck things up because yeah. you have to you can't be a whole person if you're not willing to screw things up every so often yeah 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 just blow it up and give it a shot right yeah exactly it's so scary though i talked to that i it talked is. to my therapist about that all the time i'm always yep. just like i want so much and he's like well either either you want it so go do it or you don't want it and yep. both are fine but if yep. you want it then you are gonna have to fuck other things up in order to get it right yep so. absolutely and growth is just like really awkward and unpleasant yeah. and like no one does it a, yeah like as a mother of an 18 year old girl uh who is like amazing and wonderful you know she's she's heading off on her own soon and and she's worried and she's like why do i feel so uncertain and that's because everything is uncertain like yeah. and this stage Brand of your new. life is just gonna be it's going to sort of suck in some ways and in other ways it's going to be liberating and freeing and you're going to look back at it and go like, Oh, I found out who I was, but it doesn't feel good in the moment. Oh God, no. It feels like crap. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Right. Tell me about it. As, as, as two divorcees, I, uh, you know, that's one that's like, Oh shit. Okay. Now I have a completely new life that I have to form. Right. So yeah, exactly. That's a fun one. Um, yep. Um, I want to I want to double back though on something because uh, you had talked about uh, a couple paintings that you are in contact with and 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 I wanted to ask a little bit more about that um, because you know painting like so many arts is an inherently very isolating form right it's mm-hmm. a very personal expression like you know like writing that's how I always frame most of my thoughts is like writing is you're by yourself right and yep. then it's it's only later that you get to bring people in. And so I'm curious how you sort of maintain some semblance of community. And I know you did already kind of touch on it a little bit more, but I'm wondering if you can um, elaborate. And and again, you have t- touched on this already, but I think a little bit more too um, is like telling tell me about some of the some of the living painters that inspire you. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm so fortunate that I that I know like a lot of living painters that that are really inspiring, and um, I think that like. In terms of 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 making the work, you're right. It is isolated. It is like you've got to be alone with yourself, and you've got to be like your relationship is with your work. It's it's immediate, and your work demands your attention. And you can't like it is so counterproductive to go on Instagram and look at the beautiful work of like a million painters. And like it it doesn't teach you anything. It doesn't tell you anything. It just makes you look at your own half finished work and go like, where did I go wrong? Yeah. And that's not helpful, right? It's mm-hmm. not helpful because you don't see the process. You don't see how people got from nothing to something. And mm-hmm. um, most of the painters that I admire and respect, they get from nothing to something by scraping things off a bunch of times and reworking things. So one of the one of the forms that community has taken for me it started in the pandemic and has has really like just lasted for the last few years this is my friend scott connery who's a a really a really fantastic painter in the states he's down in oregon he has done like a weekly or almost weekly sort of get together chat online so we just like a bunch of us get on zoom and we talk about our work and he he'll do like sometimes he'll do like a little painting demo sometimes he'll just like interview other artists that he knows and we'll just talk about stuff and it's the best it's so centering and it's so it's such a good reminder that everybody is struggling (laughs) everybody is struggling and and art is hard and nobody finds it easy and nobody sees the same like i'm not going to make scott's paintings he's not going to make mine nobody else is making anybody else's art the things that matter to other people aren't necessarily the things that matter to me. I couldn't, you know, when I moved to Vancouver, I remember thinking like, oh my God, what am I going to paint? I'm certainly not going to become one of those rainy cityscape painters. And what I ended up doing was painting bitch water most of the time that I was there, right? Yeah, because yeah. it was, it's the place where I could find the world. It was the place where, where I could find like salamanders and frogs and stuff. And, uh, and like the reflection of the sky and, and the things that you don't necessarily see in the city because I'm not interested in painting cars. Right. Like, yeah. or yeah. any of the other things that kind of sell in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, I think that the thing that you find out when you're, when you're making work is you find out who you are and what you care about over and over and over again. You're just, 
at the end of every painting you're confronted with yourself and it really helps to have other people who actually like you <laughs> around <laughs> who are like oh hey there you are right yeah. like it's good for me it's good for my ego um but it's also good for my process it's good for me to remember that it's totally okay for me to be myself it's okay for me to make work that reflects who I am and how I see the world and what I love and what I care about. And it's, it's really good to also be able to see the people I like, like I have met people and thought they were just fine, nice people. And then seen their work and been like, Oh no, I don't, I don't like them. <laughs> I can't be their friend. <laughs> and then I've met people whose work has just moved me in ways that I, I couldn't have expected. I couldn't have anticipated that maybe I wouldn't have responded to them right away, just like a, yeah. as an individual, but having seen their work has, has shifted something, has like changed my heart, right? And, yes. and made me see them better and made me care about them and what happens to them. And that's, that's like a gift that we give to each other, right? Like being able to mm. see each other's work keeps us from being alone in the world. Yes. We get to see each other's struggle. And it's important that we not make perfect paintings. It's important that our paintings be flawed because we're flawed and our paintings are personal. They're, they're not there to be perfect representations of something in the world. They're made to be parts of ourselves, mm -hmm. parts of ourselves that are honest, not, not like parts of ourselves that are perfect. We're not perfect. Yeah. Why would our work be? God, you're, I, I, I'm, I, I like, I need you to just like give me a pep talk like every morning. Or something. <laughs> I like, will. I'm just, like, I'm just feeling so like, I, 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 I feel like I need to cut some of these like me being flabbergasted by you out of this because I'm just like, <laughs> I think it's going to be for every answer. But like, um, w one thought I was having as you were, as you were speaking, I was thinking about like, cause I love that reminder of you're seeing the product, not the process. And, mm -hmm. and I got thinking about like, what if we like, what if we, for every book published, you also published the first draft, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Know? Yeah. See like, no, it doesn't show up. And, and there's such a, again, and it's so Eurocentric and it's so old man centered of like these you know the the canon right yeah. you know or and and you can think of it in especially in painting too you think of you know michelangelo and yeah, yeah, da Vinci, yeah right you know and it's like these these they're not only not only are they perfect they're also holy right yeah. you know they're, they're they're spiritual and it makes me almost sad for them in a way that mm -hmm. like that like yes they were deeply skilled and obviously these are incredible works of art but like there's still like almost a censorship involved by having to maintain a perfection and having yeah. to strive for that. And they couldn't just be totally open and free and right. And no, I mean, I'll tell you, I went to, so a few years ago, I guess it was like six or seven years ago, there was a Monet um, exhibition at the Vancouver art gallery. And I went and I loved it so much. And I loved it partly because it wasn't like a top tier exhibition. It had mm. a lot of what I would call failed paintings. Um, a lot of pieces that he did when he uh, had cataracts and you could see his frustration and you could see that the work wasn't very good. It was not very good. You could see the struggle and I loved it. And I posted about it on Facebook and I got like flack for that, for not <laughs> thinking everything he did was a masterpiece. Right. But for me, it humanized Monet. And when I was looking at, I've never been to Giverny. I've never been to France. I've never, um, but I was looking at the photographs of his garden and I, I know a fair bit about his life because we all paint in his shadow, right? And um, and I think that he was so constrained by, like, if he had been here, if he had been somewhere truly where there's still wildness, like, mm -hmm. I can only imagine what he would have done. But he was mm -hmm. so constrained by a garden and by by the kind of setting that he was in and that he maintained, like, he, he rigidly maintained that setting so he could paint it. And I think that that, that's his weakness. That's the weakness of Monet. Whereas I had, you know, another experience at the Vancouver Art Gallery a few years after that, where, um, oh, now I'm going to forget his name. Oh my God. What was his name? David. Anyway, an artist that, whose name I can't remember from the early part of the 19th century. David something. Yeah. David something. Good Lord. I can't believe I've forgotten. This is menopause brain. Um, 
it was a sh- like a retrospective like a, it wasn't a retrospective i guess because he's he's dead but it was a it was a show of like a lifetime of work of his um and you know he had been a war artist he had he had come back quite damaged from the war and he had moved to like rural north ontario where he just like starved in a little log cabin that he built himself and um i mean he didn't actually end up starving but he was super poor and you could see the the paintings where he'd gotten some money he'd sold a piece or someone had brought him some paint because all of a sudden there'd be this like exuberance of paint on the canvas and it was so exciting it was so moving i didn't expect to be moved by that i didn't like his work because i'd only seen color plates and and when i first walked into it i thought yeah okay and then i came around the corner and there was this boulder and i had to sit down and i went back to that show i had a membership at the at the vag and i went back i think seven or eight times just to look at that painting because it just it just knocked me sideways and i couldn't i couldn't look at it and tell you what it is about that painting that moved me so much but i think about it every day it was the most beautiful painting and i like beautiful in this weird way in this like weird deeply true way and i i think it's like a courageous painting it doesn't make sense to me particularly but i think about it all the time i don't yeah. know what is that i mean There's that's like art right? that's art that's right art. yeah know, that's the that's the that's the ephemeral stuff that i'm always grasping at that yeah. i'm always trying to you know yeah and I don't know what makes it good. It's not the composition. It's wrong. Like, and that's that to me is actually something that like I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying that's really resonating with me and really reminded me of of other just other thoughts I've been having about like you know when an artist has an impulse, it's their duty to just to just follow the impulse. That's yeah, it, you know yeah, um, absolutely. You know, um, um, David Lynch always talks about that, where he's like, I'm just an artist. Like, yes, I make films. Yes, I paint. Yes, I this. Yes, I that. But it's just about, like, I just follow on impulse. And it's my job to follow that impulse. And yep. it's not my job to decide if it's good or bad. It's yep. just my, my job to follow the impulse. And and I just, that reminder, once again, of just, like, to get out of your own way and just do the work and let somebody else decide if it speaks to them or not, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't let other people into your head. Like I can go through a catalog of my paintings. I can pick out all the commissions because as soon as I accept a commission, I'm like, that person's in my head. I can't yep. see through my own eyes. I'm thinking about whether they'll like it because I want to get paid. Right. Yes. And so I, the work suffers. Like I have to, I have to put commissions aside all the time and I have to give myself all these little rewards where I'm allowed to make whatever painting I want, you know, alongside the commission to keep me fresh so I can go back and forth. Because I, I don't want to let anything out of the studio that's substandard. Yes. But I hate making commissions. I really do. And because, like, living as an artist in capitalism is a fear-based <laughs> way yes. to live, yes. it really is. I, I have a hard time saying no to things. But what that means is that people have to wait a long time for paintings. Yeah. Which, I mean, there are no art emergencies, but they do have to wait. Yeah. You know, and I do feel bad about it sometimes. How do you find yourself... Milne. It was David Milne. David Milne. M I M I L N E. N E. Yep. Um, I'm writing that down for the for the for the notes. Um, yeah, look at the boulder. How do you find yourself uh, like marrying those two concepts? Because that's something that I am like every day growing deeper and deeper in frustration with. Is this like, you know, because capitalism to me has fundamentally murdered art. You know? Oh yeah. And and so. And yet it also demands more and more art, right? Yeah. You know, like you think about the you think about the pandemic and the the need for more streaming content, the need for yep. more entertainment and all these things. And yet now they are refusing to pay their artists, their writers. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. It needs to be more them. and more and cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. And and, you know, it's why I like I really applaud, you know, like the the, the writers union that's striking. And I really mm-hmm. applaud people who are who are fighting for it. But it's like it's still frustrating because they did at the end of the day they're still fighting for money not yep. necessarily for art and yep. and even though i'm fully on board with them it's like we're still all collectively missing the point you know? yeah like we got to take this system down and yeah. it, it does it does murder art and it does murder like it literally kills painters like literally yeah. kills artists like people starve 
making work and there's no room to fail and people mm-hmm. have to fail if they want to be good at stuff they have to fail and we don't let them we like they either have to hold down a day job and work themselves to you know to exhaustion and then fail in their own time which like who has time for that i know people that are working three jobs yep. or like working two jobs and raising kids it's insane or mm-hmm. teaching teaching art and putting all of their all of their vision and all of their passion into teaching which is valuable important work mm-hmm. but it it's got to come from somewhere and what and it, it leaves wealth... nothing for them right? yeah. It, yeah yeah no it's a really difficult situation to be in and because there's no security because there's no pension there's no benefits mm-hmm. there's no anything i pay um you know i i pay uh $200 a month or something like that for benefits so that mm-hmm. like my kids can go to the dentist but it's it's like I'm again, that's a privilege thing. Like I am privileged to be able to do that. And I'm lucky that I make work that people buy. But mm. I've also had to finagle a lot. So I divide my paintings into two categories. I make rent paintings, which are the paintings I know that someone will buy. People yeah. will always buy bees, they'll always buy nests, they'll usually buy a landscape, they'll definitely buy anything I make that's tiny and costs a hundred dollars. Yep. If I say like this painting is the size of a postcard, it costs a hundred dollars, it took me I mean, who knows how long to do. Sometimes a painting takes me 15 minutes. Oh my God, why is that happening? Sorry. (laughs) My God. It Um, happens to me all the time. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, if if I'm making tiny paintings, like they might take me 10 minutes, they might take me two days. It just depends what's going on that day. but somebody will somebody will definitely buy them like they they never don't sell sometimes people compete for them and that's great right like that's great but it means that i have to do that constantly i have four kids i have to do that all the time i'm tied to my studio last summer when i had covid i thought oh my god what's gonna happen i don't know like what if i can't work what if i get long covid i was really lucky that i didn't but you know there's like paint is expensive canvas is expensive like space is expensive everything is expensive And when I first started out and I was like tying canvases to trees in the woods while we were living to a yurt, like living in a yurt, it was, even that was expensive. Paint seemed like a luxury. And I I had to sell a certain number of paintings every year just to make make it make sense. Um, And so like marrying capitalism and painting, I don't, I hate capitalism. I'm, I'm a socialist, like I'm a pretty far left socialist. Like I, I don't, um i don't like that i have to work in this system i really feel very strongly that i want to do exactly what i want to do without any impediment or any compromise for the rest of my life and i feel entitled to that and i i know that that is something that like causes people some problems i know that people are like you're not entitled to that i've got to work a job i hate well you know you shouldn't yeah (laughs) i don't think you should i don't think you should and i'm lucky that i don't have to work a job i hate um you know, I work really hard at this job I don't hate, but I don't hate it. I love it. I love it. And I want to do it for the rest of my life. And I, I don't want to have to worry about whether or not I can pay the rent or feed my kids. I want to just do this thing because I think that it's a noble thing. I think that it makes the world better. I think it makes my relationships better. It makes me a better person. It makes the world a better place. It makes people happy. It makes them pay attention. It makes them love the world a little bit more. And I think that all of that is a net good. So I should be allowed to do that forever. And nobody 100%. should fuck with it. Yes. <laughs> it makes 100%. me so mad yeah. that I have to like justify my existence as an artist or people will be like, oh, you're so lucky. Yes, I am. I am so lucky. I'm so lucky I was born white. I'm so lucky I was born in this country. I'm so lucky to be like a cishet woman. That's that's all luck. And I, I am really, really glad. But I also feel like just basic human dignity demands that people should be allowed to make art right and not yes. like punished for it <laughs> yes no i'm with you 100 percent. i mean i i would take that even further that it's like the like the the you know the housing insecurity that is imposed on everyone like yeah not a single person alive today asked to be born and no. so the fact that our governments and the fact that our culture dictates that you are subservient to you know to basic human needs yeah um, like marketing basic needs like the fact that food is as expensive as it is like the fact that i can afford to buy food is great but it also means that i owe a debt i feel to innumerable people around me that can't Mm -hmm. who like who who i care about like 
care about a lot of people and a lot of those people are not they're not making their bills or you know they're they're just like in over their heads or their housing is so insecure that they don't know whether they'll have a place to live next month or they're homeless like they're unhoused i you know i have my studio downtown in vancouver and i had my studio downtown in prince george and that what that means is that you're part of a community of unhoused people mm-hmm. and you see the way that society generally treats people when they don't have a door that locks it changes immediately into something even if people are are kind they are sort of prescriptive and patriarchal and it's shitty like really shitty like that are that basic dignity basic needs are not met unless you are participating not just participating but like giving your life to this machine that grinds up human beings Mm -hmm. is disgusting yeah I see it as like, you know, I um I, I was reading recently th- about how the the real heart of like post World War One philosophy or, or just pre actually, uh just pre World War One, like Nietzsche and, and these kinds of writers, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole philosophy behind it was they were seeing you know essentially they were seeing the removal of the spirit from the world right mm-hmm. and so the whole concept behind god is dead wasn't just being like nah, 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 nah. it was like <laughs> it was like we are now in a machine world and we no longer have connection to any sort of god whatsoever yeah. like yep. the god of the earth is dead and i i often in my sort of like you know spectrum swirling thoughts i often imagine that the real the real god of the earth is like a blood god and it demands it demands sacrifice and that's why like we got this sort of like uneasy peace for as long as we did because so many fucking people were killed over the last century um and now it's getting hungry again you know and uh and that gets a little scary um because now we have to match that meal you know um but uh but that's also like that's just you know that that's just like a acid flashback thought you know uh... (laughs) (laughs) i often think that there is though i think that there is like I'm not a religious person and I don't like that, like, oh, I'm spiritual, not religious thing. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I think that there is a force at the center of the world that is yeah. like, like not to be all Nietzsche, but beyond good and evil. That mm-hmm. is like, uh, that is hungry and loving and, and amoral and, and necessary and like generative and also, also violent right violent and mercurial and unreasoning and i think like when you engage with with making any art with making music or paintings or writing or anything you're engaging with that force in in all of its like terror and all of its beauty yeah that's the job and it's why i mean that's why like because every you know words are inherently lies but it's like it's humans trying to drive at that feeling it's why they have words like the muse it's why they have you know all these things right they're 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 trying to give a word to something that's unnameable but but it's the best we can do with our little grunts right that's right exactly yeah (laughs) um i i want to i'm cognizant of the time and i wanted to just like um i have my sort of my usual questions that we're going to get to but um i i I wanted to ask first, just, just, I wanted to dip my toes into it a little bit because, you know, um, as we mentioned, we met in Barkerville and, mm-hmm. and, and it's a, it's a really magic little community up there. And, and it's very clearly, I mean, it's, I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like it's influenced the both of us and the directors yeah, sure. of our lives, right. You yep. know, and, and I'm wondering if you have any, like, like a story or something that you feel like sort of like encapsulates or like sort of like demonstrates the spirit of that community that, uh, that, that maybe or maybe not I'm a part of. I don't know. I don't know if there's a story that springs to mind for that. (laughs) I mean, I certainly think about that story of being in like the back of the truck with the hay bales. Mm. That was, that for me was that kind of um, being thrown together with people uh, was such a, such a weird gift at that time in my life and, and such an important gift because, you know, at various points I've been really isolated and to have this sort of instant community where everyone was in it full time was was really wonderful and exciting and and different and made me think differently and made me think differently about my relationships and differently about like what I wanted from my life. And then when my marriage collapsed a couple of years later, I went back. I moved back to Wells 
um because it felt in a way it felt safe it felt like a womb right like mm -hmm. there are people that i love there there were people that knew what had happened there were people that like knew me and that had known me in that specific way and that were ready to like embrace me at a time when i was i really hadn't found my feet i didn't know what was going to happen and i didn't know um you know it was not a great breakup like it was scary mm -hmm. and shitty and uh a lot was going on and I, I just had this very, very safe place that I could go for a while. And I, I, you know, Wells has that same kind of feeling that we were talking about with Haida Gwaii. It's like a place apart in a funny way. Yes. Barkerville has that too. It's a place apart and time is different and your relationships are different and um, you, you just inhabit the world in a different way. And I appreciate that about it. I don't know that I could ever live there again, sure. uh, but I, I loved the time that I spent there for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I find myself it. Uh, I find myself haunted by it in in the best sense of that word. Yeah, do you, you still know? dream about it all the time? All the time. Me yeah. too. All the time. I, I have these strange moments at different seasons, especially like right around now, actually. Um, like kind of the April into the July, I have these moments where like the air kind of reminds yeah. me of it. I get these little whiffs, and I yeah. remember like going there for the first time and and just the like the the yeah the like mystery and the adventure and and, and the hauntedness like it's haunted yeah, it's it is like straight haunted. up haunted yeah <laughs> well only place in the world i've ever been where like grown you know gold like authentic modern day gold miner men yeah. would would tell me that there were like fairies in the forest who liked to like play tricks on you and get you lost and stuff with like yep. a complete straight authentic yeah absolutely you know? i've heard more oh. ghost stories from more yeah. like 60 year old men in that town mm -hmm. <laughs> like, right and they're like not for entertainment they're just like this they're happened to me yeah, yeah yeah and it's just yeah it's magic i find myself yeah like like very beautifully haunted by that town and, yeah. and I've, I've always wanted to write about it but i've never i've yet to really find the inroad to it you know i'm going um, up on tuesday actually because my daughter is leaving and she wants to go visit before fabulous. she leaves because she has you know her memories of it are from being a really little kid yeah. and we went back uh, last year i think and she was like everything is so much smaller than i remember it yeah. because you know she had that that little kid perspective yeah. where everything seemed physically larger but also the world was wells like we used to take them to vancouver and put them on the like let them ride the escalators in the mall and that was like taking them to the carnival or yeah, something they were yeah. so excited about it so, God. i yeah. remember uh i remember after my first summer there my the first summer was the longer of the two summers and i remember when i came back to vancouver after that summer i got vertigo on my first escalator i know <laughs> it's I was so like, weird. I'm like whoa what's a second story what is this yeah you know? <laughs> yeah yeah it's so weird <laughs> yeah and then, but then with Jasper too, that makes me think of like, cause yeah, I remember her always like, you would, you would bring the little, the brood up and they would I all know. just be like hanging off the rails and you know. Yeah, they were like, so little and yeah. so like, it was just their lives. They were mm -hmm. always in the creek behind the blacksmith shop and they yeah. were always like up to the Mason and Daly and yeah. it was just all of the summer we were there. Yeah. What a magic. I mean, it, it, it that, that must be like a very treasured memory for them you know yeah i, I think I, so I, yeah I would hope, right you yeah, know? <laughs> yeah yeah for sure i i think i want to just i'm gonna just jump to the like the last kind of big ethereal questions of the show you know um it's something that you've really tapped into already but um you know the heart of this podcast is unpacking what it means to be a friend what it means mm -hmm. to be in community how to which hold, i love you know? i love that so much it's such Thank a great you. premise yeah. i really appreciate that and it's you know sometimes it's sort of dancing around it and sometimes yep. i get more more direct into it you know but i think everything we've talked about really paints the whole picture of what it means to be in community and connected and intimacy and all these things you know but but it really does come down to the question that i'll i'll pose to you now which is what does it mean to you to be a friend yeah, I've been thinking about this ever since I read the questions yesterday, and I, it means different things at different times and with different people. Like I think yeah. there are, there are certain categories of friends, um, and the the broad category of friend that I think I value the most in my life is comradeship. I really, I value people that have each other's backs, people that I know, 
uh, people that I know will speak kindly about me when I'm not in the room and about whom I will speak kindly when they're not in the room and who I will defend in a Facebook argument and trust to do the same with me. Um, and I mean, I don't think I have a lot of friends that are not on, you know, we're not on the same path. We're not all artists. We're not all, um, you know, after the same things in life. I have, a, I have friendships with tremendous longevity that I value so much uh, with really disparate people, but people that I've known since I was a little kid that through, you know, many moves and periods of silence and, and distance and all kinds of things have just remained steadfast. So I think steadfastness is, is a very big deal to me. Um, and I try to be steadfast for others. And, and I also really, to be a friend, I think is to be trustworthy and to be honest in ways that are kind. So, uh, you know, we have to gauge one another's, one another's state and, and be compassionate and not, not like, when I think about friendship, I think about the people that I trust to criticize me, to criticize mm -hmm. my work, but I also trust them to wait for me to ask for their criticism. Yeah. And that's, uh... I think that's like a sacred contract. And there are a few people I trust with that. I have a, a very like dear friend who is a writer, uh, a wonderful writer, Jill Wigmore. Um, and she is one of like, we have a standing coffee date every Wednesday and it's non-negotiable. I mean, it's negotiable in that we can, we can take time off and go other places. Like I yeah. missed the last two Wednesdays cause I was away, but the friendship is non-negotiable and the substance of the friendship is how, how we, how we make art, but also how we like walk this path of mm. being women who make art in, uh, in a world and in a town that is, is very, very patriarchal and fairly dismissive of the arts overall. Yeah, sure. And it's, 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 it's vital to me. That friendship um, is, is, it fills a very specific role in my life. And, and it, it is like, it is forever because of that. Like it, I, I need that friendship. She needs that friendship and we both get so much out of it, but there, there are so many different kinds of friendships and so many different ways to be friends. So I think, the guiding principle for me is like, is love mm -hmm. and it's, but it's also respect. Like I've had people that I love very much and that love me very much. I have no doubt about it, but friendship off because there, there have been just ways that either maybe I haven't respected their boundaries, but certainly they haven't respected mine. And, um, and I've had to terminate a couple of friendships for those reasons because I don't have the time to say the same things over and over again. And I don't like being constantly tested. I don't like people that need, um, you know, they need, they need to text several times a day and they need a response or they worry and they become insecure. I, I, I want people to trust me that I have their back and I want mm -hmm. to be able to trust them the same way. And I don't want to have to talk about it all the time. <laughs> like it's super important to me that because I am an introvert and, and it, it matters to me, that if I'm in my studio, my phone's not going buzz, 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 buzz. The whole yes. time. Like I can turn off my notifications and nobody's feelings get hurt. And if I'm in there for 17 hours, nobody's feelings get hurt because mm -hmm. for me, that's the emergency. Like being out there and being able to work is that's an emergency for me. If I can't yes. do that, everything hinges on it. Right. So yeah. they need to respect that. And, and I, I respect their processes too. Like I would never walk into a writer's you know, living room and say, well, I'm here, like now it's time for me. Right. <laughs> yes, so, yes. yeah. So I think the space, like I think the, the willingness and the ability to navigate space around one another lovingly is, yeah. is a huge part of friendship. Oh, I love that so much. I love that. I, um, yeah, I, I want to take some of that stuff to heart. Um, the, the, the follow-up is, um, uh, you know, I always try to give the listeners at the very end like a little actionable thing they can try. And so, what do you think is there? Um, oh, sorry, I got my my brain tripped over itself there. What do you think is one thing listeners could try doing this week to be a better friend to someone in their in their community? You know, like as a woman on the internet, like I spend a lot of time on the internet, less than I used to. Um, but I would say, especially if you're a dude, if you see a woman or like a non-binary friend or anybody that is not like, like a cis white dude 
um, who is having an argument on the inter internet somewhere about like their basic right to exist in public, uh, go get their back. Like, go stick up for them. Go like talk to your friends and mm -hmm. tell them to smarten up. Like, for me, that's a love language. People sticking up for other people uh, is super important. And yeah. I've I've had the situation where I've been in you know arguments online with men who uh like i've asked for help from my male friends and they've said oh but you're doing fine and uh, i'd like help people when they need help you should help people i think that like yeah. that's an actionable thing if you see somebody that needs help you should try to help them yeah oh i love that so much Corey. i just i you know it's it's crazy to think that this is like this is the first time we've like talk talked in like god knows how long like a decade yeah i was gonna it's say at a minimum absurd. 10 years yeah, yeah, which is like not okay, you know. No. But uh, but um, you know, on the on the very very off chance and the the horrific thought that I don't speak to you for another ten ten years like this, I just you know I really want to say like I just I I'm so inspired by you and I think that you're just such an incredible spirit and just presence on this earth and I'm so grateful that I got to cross paths with you when I did in my life and and I want you to know just how much you have, um influenced the trajectory of my whole life and oh that's and, such a um, oh that's such know. a good thing to say to me thank you so much <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it really is i'll try not to become like an egomaniac as a result but <laughs> it means it means a lot to me like yeah. I, that 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 really matters to me and i i think of you you know regularly and so fondly and not just of that time in barkerville but just like you know when you started the friendless podcast and yeah. it kind of blew up a bit i was yeah. so proud of you and i'm so <laughs> i'm just so jazzed to be on it it's really really nice right and i'm i'm i love these questions i love getting to think about this stuff out yeah. loud it's so it's good for me it helps me and uh it it just like it helps to remind me of of why i'm so happy yeah and i really am like yes. the world is ending and i'm super happy yes. and this this is really really good i'm sorry my stupid email oh. notifications are loud all good all good <laughs> yeah no it's yeah and that's that's um it's really nice to see you happy i think that's one of the other things that it's like it's so nice to see you and see you smiling and see you like and it's like an authentic thing you know yeah and i'm so it's super so nice, happy it's right? ridiculous yeah. sometimes yeah. i like I, the world is literally burning and i'm like <laughs> Does it make sense that as things get worse out there, they're like get better for me personally? Well, you I, know, we got to be happy though. Right. Like, I mean, it's like we talked about. We're going to die. We're going to die either way. So yep. might as well be happy. You know. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> if you can, you should. Right? Not everybody can, and certainly not all the time. So yep. if you can, you should. Fuck though. Um, <laughs> I got one last thing I got to do before we wrap up this. But uh, here we go, Corey Hardiman. We are no longer Facebook friends. Oh. It's okay. I'll see you on Instagram. I will. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll connect you with some of my favorite artists. Oh my God. I would love that so Come much. Be in my community. Yes, please. <laughs> you can't escape me just by unfriending me. Yes. I, I like need that actually though. Like, please help me. I need. Okay. I will. Friends. For sure. Yes. I'll um, send you a list on Instagram. Before we, before we hang up, um, I just want to ask, is there, is there somewhere you would like listeners to find you? Are there, are there specific links or accounts or anything like that? that yeah, like they can find me on my Facebook account at, uh, Corey Hardiman painter at Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram at CJ Hardiman and I have a website, which is Corey Okay. Well, I will. Make sure oh, and all I write, that... I write for a couple of publications as well. I write for Galaxy uh, Brain, which is a, a sort of an arts literary publication out of Toronto. And I write for Thimbleberry, which is a, a literary publication up here in Prince George at UBC. Incredible. I will yeah. I'll I'll get all all those links together and those are all gonna be in the show notes. So listeners, go check it out. Corey, I just yeah, once more, I just I love you so much. And I think oh, I you're love just, you too, buddy. Just, thank you so I really much. Like the world you. Yeah. Aww, thank you. I'm just I love that we got to do this. It was so fun. It's so good to see you too. Yes, your yes. face. Yay. <laughs> and that's it. Thank you again to Quarry for joining me this week. I think she's just one in a billion, and I feel so blessed to have her in my life in any capacity. Please check out her work through the links that I've provided in the show notes. And if you like the show, please be sure to give it a five-star review wherever you listened. Reviews are so helpful to building awareness of the show, and they're free. 
Friendless has actually been nominated for a couple podcast awards. Um, the, I am nominated for the Society and Culture Award, as well as People's Choice Award. And if you would do me the great favor of uh, creating an account on the website and voting uh, at least in those categories, it would mean the absolute world to me. The links are in the show notes. And if you want even more Friendless content, please be sure to sign up for the monthly Substack. You're going to get recommendations for books, music, movies, podcasts, and all kinds of other fun stuff. You're also going to get a new writing prompt with every newsletter to try out for yourself, along with helpful tips on how to be a better friend to yourself and your community. I'm slowly trying to build up the content there, and I'm really proud of this month's newsletter, which uh, should have either just published as of this episode going live or is about to. On top of that, I have, along with what feels like the whole rest of the world, joined Threads. Admittedly, I feel just as lost on that app as I did on Twitter, but I'm giving it my best, so give me a follow. As always, all those links are in the show notes. But that's it for me, so let's wrap this little puppy up. Thank you so much for listening through to the end. I will be back next week with a brand new episode that I think you're going to love, and I hope you'll join me then. But I'm not going to worry about that now, and neither should you, because that is then, and this is now. So for now, I'll just say I love you, and I wish you well. Fun and safety, sweeties. <laughs>